From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Country singer-songwriter Jason Isbell's latest record is all about finding his place in a divided country. When somebody puts out an album that's not political right now, if they're not just a straight-ahead entertainer, you know, period, um, you know, everybody goes, well, what the hell are you doing? Why aren't you talking about politics? Jason Isbell joins us for a special solo performance. Plus, we review the debut from the rap phenomenon, Cardi B. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. Uh, Jim, we've got a jam-packed show today. We've got uh, Jason Isbell in the studio for an interview and a live performance uh, solo. And uh, we are going to review the record that Everybody's talking about the Cardi B debut. That's later in the show, Greg. But first, before you, before me, we've both been writing approximately since forever. Kendrick Lamar has won a Pulitzer Prize. That's amazing, Jim. Uh, Everybody was somewhat stunned by this because there had never been any artist in the uh, so-called pop vernacular, rock artist, hip-hop artist, soul artist, R&B artist, who has ever won a Pulitzer And uh, here comes Kendrick Lamar winning the first one, the first non-jazz, non-classical musician to win a uh, Pulitzer for music composition. The feeling, the feeling of false freedom, a false freedom to poison to fill them up in the prison. I feel like it's just me, look. I feel like I can't breathe, look. I feel like I can't sleep, look. I feel heartless, often, often. Feeling the falling, I'm falling apart with darkest hours lost in. Feeling the void of being employed with balling. Streets is talking, filling the blanks with coffins. Fill up the banks with dollars. Is this just the Pulitzer Committee trying to uh, uh, match the <laughs> Nobel Prize uh, Committee giving, giving a Nobel to Bob Dylan? Yeah, I, I guess so. It's certainly doing a better job of recognizing genius than the Grammys are, how damn the record for which they recognized Kendrick Lamar, the Pulitzers did, did not win Grammy Album of the Year is magnified now. Yes. Even great, to a greater degree. Both of us named it among our top ten albums of the year. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the fact that uh, the Grammys snubbed it, I think, is even more uh, egregious of an oversight uh, now that the Pulitzers have weighed in. I mean, again, it, it, it is stunning that there had never been an artist in this realm who had won this award before, and Kendrick was the one. And I, I can't think of a more worthy choice, because I think Kendrick is one of those generationally redefining artists where we're going to measure the times that we live in mm. by the music that he put out. And, and, you know, I'd put him up there with the Beatles of his generation. Yeah, for this generation, that's who Kendrick Lamar is. Um, and, and, and damn, you know, we could have an argument about which is the more Pulitzer-worthy record. Yeah. In case for To Pimp a Butterfly. Yes. Like, that's the best album. They want to say it's a war side, bomb in the street, gun in the hood, mob of police, black on the corner with a line full of fiend and a bottle full of lean and a mother want to scream, uh. 
These days of frustration keep y'all Come to the front Yeah, I duck these cold faces Post stuff, he fight for from basis Dreams are reality's peace Blow steam in the face of the beast That doesn't make damn any less worthy It's just that he's got so much great art in his catalog that there's plenty of his albums that could have been recognized in this way. That's a little bit of the song Anxiety from our guest today, Jason Isbell, one of the leading singer-songwriters of our time. A singer-songwriter almost does him an injustice because he's such a wide-ranging artist stylistically. He was born and raised in uh, Alabama and started playing music as a kid. Uh, the big break came with the drive-by truckers. They hired him as a, a touring musician, a guitarist. He was a very fine guitar player, uh, but also a really great songwriter. Mm-hmm. And the band recognized that, brought him into the fold. He was with them for three albums in the 2000s before leaving the band to start a solo career. He's now made uh, six records. His latest is called The Nashville Sound with his band, The 400 Unit. That uh, that title's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He is not uh, emblematic of what people think of as country music these days, the bro country sound. He's very much anti that. Uh, that album is extremely political. It's uh, got songs talking about working-class struggles and white privilege. That's where we started our conversation with Jason, who has said that uh, his album is about more than just politics. It's also about beliefs and ethics. Well, it's most certainly uh, subjective, you know, what your politics are is a subjective term. If, if you're in prison uh, and you're trying to get out... Um, the rights of inmates are not your politics. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's my everyday, That's every your minute concern. your breakfast and your lunch yeah. and your dinner and yeah. the time in between. So I, I think that's very often, you know, the term politics is used, I think, to make beliefs more manageable and even more... Uh, Combatable in a lot of in a lot of ways, you know. It's hard to say you believe the wrong thing, sir. Mm-hmm. You know, your what's in your heart is wrong. You have a bad heart. <laughs> um, and, but it's really easy to say I disagree with your politics. And very often, when somebody says the latter, they they mean the former. They're just not brave enough to say it out loud. Um, and for me, I just wrote about where my mind was and and what I was thinking about, what my life was like, what what sort of role uh, I was trying to find as a father and a husband and an artist. And, uh, um, you know, I'm documenting this part of my life. And it came out political because, I mean, what else is there uh, in the public consciousness right now if not that? I know you're tired and you ain't sleeping well. Uninspired, likely man as hell. But wherever you are, I hope the high road leads you home again. When somebody puts out an album that's not political right now, if they're not just a straight-ahead entertainer, you know, period, um, and they put out an album that doesn't deal with those issues at all, I think that is more glaringly obvious to the audience uh, or to the public than somebody who puts out an album that's quote-unquote politically motivated or politically charged. I think, you know, it's it's so ingrained in our everyday lives right now, um, that, that sort of push and pull and that battle for power that uh, if somebody doesn't mention it on a record, you know, everybody goes, well, what the hell are you doing? Why aren't you talking yeah. about politics? People hear political and they think of something abstract and like, boy, 
boring and it's like you know why it's you know white and white and black and yeah. it's uh, and that's these, privilege these these lines. But you know, when you get back to the idea of like what what country music was, it was about talking about everyday lives and stuff that mattered to everyday people. And what I hear about on this record is is a lot of songs that are about what everyday people go through. What does politics mean to that family that is trying to uh, find a way to make ends meet when their jobs go away because the coal industry doesn't exist anymore? You know, in something like Cumberland Gap, mm-hmm. or you know, you, 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 White Man's World is a great example of a song where you kind of call yourself out in some ways. I'm a white man looking in a black man. Was that a difficult song to write? It was. Um, you know, I mean, they're all hard to write if they're any good, in all honesty. But that one was, it was, you know, that's a, you got to be real careful, man, when you're talking about that stuff. you got to be real careful uh, that you come out exactly how you mean to. And I, I found in that particular song the best way for me to do that was to give my own personal experience, which, you know, that's usually uh, the best way to, to tell anybody anything or move them from one side of the aisle to the other is, is well, here's what happened to me take it or leave it you know Mm. and yeah I grew up in a place where a lot of people that were around me uh, used racial slurs on a daily basis and you know made racial jokes and I didn't always stand up against that and and now as an adult I regret it you know I look back and think well no there 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 wasn't anybody around who uh, you know was the butt of the joke I mean it was a bunch of white kids you know in a field somewhere or in a bar somewhere shooting pool or something but I still should have said something because it wasn't right and and so that when I when I when I give the listener that you know uh, it's it's not as preachy it's not like I'm saying you know you need to behave this way uh you know it's kind of like here's what happened to me and here's why it kind of keeps me up at night every once in a while you know I mean it's 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 not like I'm planning on changing anybody's mind, but but if I'm going to get anywhere closer to making any kind of an impact with any of these songs, the best way to do it is is just say, you know, here's my story, here's here's what's worked for me and what hasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Jason Isbell in the studio with us at Sound Opinions, and Jason, you've got a fine-looking acoustic guitar. Thank you very much. <laughs> would you uh, Would you like to play a song for us? Uh, I would. Yeah, I sure would. Let's see. Since we are talking about it, I'll play uh, play White Man's World for you. I'm a white man living in a white man's world. Under our roof is a baby girl. Thought this world could be hers one day But her mama knew better I'm a white man living in a white man's town I want to take a shot of cocaine and burn it down Mama want to change that Nashville sound but they're never gonna let her There's no such thing as someone else's war 
Your creature comforts aren't the only things worth fighting for. Still breathing, it's not too late. We're all carrying one great burden, sharing one fate. I'm a white man living on a white man's street. I've got the bones of the red man under my feet. And the highway runs through the burial ground. Past the oceans of cotton. I'm a white man looking in a black man's eyes I'm wishing I'd never been one of the guys Who pretended not to hear another white man's joke Old times ain't forgotten There's no such thing as someone else's war your creature comforts aren't the only things worth fighting for. Still breathing, it's not too late. We're all carrying one great burden, sharing one thing. White Man's World by Jason Isbell on Sound Opinions. Wow, powerful stuff, Jason. Thank you, thank you. I was thinking while listening to that, and ever since you said it a couple of minutes ago, about, about this notion of all of us have been in the bar room at the party and somebody says something inappropriate to women or to African Americans, and, and, and our silence is complicity. It right? is, yeah. But I'm, I'm also wondering about... If we spoke up every time, I don't know, brother, you wouldn't have lived to make that's six solo point. albums. That's, that's a good, that's <laughs> and, or, a good point. Or your nose would have a lot more cracks in it yeah. from having been broken, right? Yeah. You that's know, a good point. You know, when do we fight? Um, that's, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think you have to, have to try to uh, pinpoint the, the point of diminishing returns, you know? And, and I think it's that way um, in my position when, you know, I, I, I have a, a little bit of an audience out in the world, you have to figure out how much before they turn off, you know, how yeah. much before they flip that switch and well, stop and, and listening to you. let me underscore, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, for a guy who came from where, you know, Greg and I did, the 150 capacity club, you yeah. know, drive-by truckers early on, all those years of slogging across America, and you're 
you're now playing to crowds of ten to fifteen thousand mm-hmm. fairly regularly. You know, you got Grammys and stuff. You you yeah. got something to lose. Right. Yeah, but but that's not how you lose it though, you know? I mean it's a lot of people, when they heard this record, and I, don't, I won't say a lot of people, but some people, when they heard this record the first time, uh, people who don't you know, feel the same way that I do, politically, for lack of a better term, said, you know, he's going to alienate half of his audience. And I, I, that number is pulled out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> it's fake news, it's, Jason. That is actually fake news. That, <laughs> yeah. is a, that, is to, that is a statistic that makes zero sense to me because, yeah. I mean, they've not done the research to see how my audience is divided. And, mm-hmm. and they also can't predict the future. And, and first of all, I think if the songs are good enough, people will hang in there with you. And that's where you get them. If the songs are really great and the record makes them really happy, they will put up with being argued with every once in a while because they love the record so much. I get out of this hole, I'm going to Tupelo. There's a girl down there that'll treat me fair. Get about a week of spring and the summer is blistering. There ain't no one from here that'll follow me there. But at the same time, I don't, I don't think my audience has ever been split right down the middle, you know. I, I might have lost uh, 8% or 10% or 12%, but I picked up so many new people along the way, um, you know, by, by other people telling them, hey, here's a country singer who speaks his mind and mm. kind of agrees with us on certain things. And, and that made up, you know, tenfold for the number of, of fans I may have lost otherwise. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, I just don't, I don't want to wind up in a room with a bunch of people who aren't anything like me. I would rather be in a small room full of people who could all get along than a huge, gigantic room full of people who I felt like I was fraudulently selling them a product. You know, I, I don't I don't want to be up on stage um, uh, singing to an audience that disagrees with me on most of the things that I believe in. I, I just don't I don't want to do that. What you're saying, Jason, really uh, reminds me, because you grew up in northern Alabama, which is obviously the home of... Uh, that great Muscle Shoals studio and Fame Studios where mm-hmm. you, you did some work uh, in your early days. Um, Jimmy Johnson, the great uh, guitar player in that uh, Muscle Shoals group, you know, I asked him once why, and they were doing these integrated records, you know, you, often black singers accompanied by this white rhythm section, uh, the great Muscle Shoals guys. And he, he, I said, why did the KKK, um, you know, why didn't, why didn't the supremacists come around and give you guys a harder time for, for making these records right in the middle of... <laughs> You know, because I would talk to some of the black uh, artists who went there, and they were like, "Whoa, we we yeah. kind of didn't realize what we were stepping into here." Right, right. But it worked out great. And he said, "I think they liked the music." Yeah, how about that? He said that? the music <laughs> sort of broke down that barrier in some ways. It's like what you're saying. You know, if the music's good enough, you know, maybe that's the one crack in the armor where you can actually speak to that audience and bring two sides together that otherwise wouldn't have had a reason to to, to speak to each other. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about uh, uh, other cultures, and I and I heard Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin, and I thought, well, eh, some of the kids that I'm going to school with must be wrong about something because whatever mm. Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin had, you know, I I I, I was drawn to it and very much attracted to it in in a way where it sort of became it consumed me, you know, like it does a lot of people who get into that kind of music for the first time. Show some respect for me 
And through that, you know, even though I didn't go to school with any black kids or I didn't really know any black people in my community, you know, I got my first taste of the idea that we're not all that different, you know, and and things that move a a white person's heart are the same thing that move a black person's heart. And and when when, when the art that comes out of that is so, so good, you know, even dumb little redneck kids like me couldn't ignore the fact that, you know, there was something really beautiful about it. After the break, more with Jason Isbell. We'll talk about songwriting, sobriety, and vampires. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. You want to grow up to paint houses like me A trailer in my yard to your 23 You want to feel old after 42 years Keep dropping the hammer and grinding the gear Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. You're hearing a little bit of the song Outfit from the Drive-By Truckers record Decoration Day. Uh, And that song was written by our guest today, Jason Isbell. Uh, Jason was one of three major songwriters in the Drive-By Truckers during the era when he was in the band, along with Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley. Uh, He did record three albums with the Truckers before moving on to a very successful solo career. His latest record is called The Nashville Sound, and I asked Jason when he knew he wanted to be a songwriter. I mean, I I started as a a teenager, I guess, um, you know, probably 13, 14, 15 years old, writing songs that uh, nobody um, had really heard, you know, I didn't play them for anybody. Sometimes I would play them for my parents or something, but that was about it, and I guess... Around that time, I, I really started getting into uh, Neil Young and, uh, and Bob Dylan and John Prine and people like that, you know, who people who were in my parents' record collections, but it had never really hit me, you know, and I think I finally got to the age where I understood what a lot of those lyrics meant and, and the poignancy of a lot of those lyrics really sort of... Uh, made sense to me at that age. But, you know, I'd been playing guitar for six or seven years by the time I was 12 or 13 years old. So, you know, I'd been making music for a long time, but I wasn't really old enough to understand uh, what Neil Young is is singing about, you know, in Needle in the Damage Done or something like that. And then I, I remember when those songs started to hit me, I thought, oh, you know, they're making these words up and they don't just mean I love you, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I think when that when that first happened, I started writing songs of my own. Mm-hmm. Did it surprise you that, uh, I mean, you got invited, uh, you know, I don't know the exact circumstances, but obviously you joined the drive-by truckers just when people started to notice them. Mm-hmm. And my, my, my sense of that was you were hired primarily as a guitar player, because you're a really good guitar player. But you stepped up as a major contributor as well with the song, songwriting. Um, how did that work at the start? Because they already had two songwriters in the band. Who they were did, and two guitar players. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but for that for that Southern Rock Opera album that they made right before I joined the band, um, they wanted three guitars, and uh, so they brought me in to play the third guitar part. And um, uh, that was really the deal initially was just that I would be the third guitar player for that tour, and that was really it, you know, and then they, I think they planned on going back to just having two guitar players, but um, we were on the road, and, and uh, 
I had been writing songs uh, really frequently at that point, you know, and uh, a lot of songs were coming out. And I remember one morning I I woke up before everybody else in the band woke up uh, and went outside on the porch and wrote Decoration Day. And uh, I, I really thought going into that, I thought, well, you know, maybe I could write a song that would sound right for this band. You know, maybe that's something that I should try to do. And and I had this family story um, that had happened with my mom's uncle. And so I just went from there, you know. And, and I was trying to write like an Irish murder ballad, but for a really loud punk rock band. And I think that's kind of what it came out as. Hmm. Um, and then the other guy started waking up. Earl, the bass player, woke up and I played it for him. And he said, I, I don't like that at all. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's decoration day. And I knew the hill boys had put him away. But my daddy wasn't afraid. He said we'd fight till the last loss and last living day. But, you know, Patterson liked it a lot and Cooley liked it a lot and they wound up naming a record after it and, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, it, it was a really good song for the band. But that was, yeah, I just, I just sort of didn't have anything else to do that morning and I, and I wasn't hung over, uh, so I, I just wrote a song that I thought would work for that particular group and then that's what I did for six more years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's a self-effacing way to put it for uh, someone who now, as a songwriter, has been, you know, invited to open for Dylan. Has John Prine saying, "I really love this song or that song that you wrote." You know, it's uh, uh, as an accidental songwriter, you've done pretty well. Well, thank you. And yeah, it was kind of. I mean, I always really, I really love reading. You know, especially fiction. And and I started thinking, well, I can mix the two things that I like the most, which is reading these stories and, and playing the guitar, and make one thing out of them. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of songwriters probably, a lot of really good songwriters probably became that out of, you know, necessity rather than anything else. A lot of people want to be a writer, but not not a lot of people want to write, you know. Because yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It's, it's the a, hardest it's work hard. in the world. It's lonely, and then when it's not lonely, it's embarrassing. got sober Jason and your wife you mentioned her earlier uh, not by name Amanda Shires that, yes she was a help in that process she was a big help yeah and and she did the thing where I had told her a couple times that I needed to quit drinking and and I didn't know that I was going to be able to do it on my own she said well I'm going to call people that I know you respect and I'm going to tell them that you mean to do this and then you're going to have to do it because she knew that about me that mm. you know that that once the word was out that I would stick to my word so that's what she did and she called quite a few people my manager my mom uh, Ryan Adams you know some people who were friends of mine who didn't have addiction troubles and who would hold me to my word and and sure enough I went into rehab and got got clean mhm Wow, it's an amazing story. It was not easy for her to do, you know, because, I mean, like, she didn't know my manager very well at that point. She sure didn't know Ryan Adams well, you know, and, and, and she had grown up listening to his music. And, you know, to call him in, in the middle of the night and say, my drunk husband, you know, I want you to know he's going to go to rehab on Monday. Uh, yeah, that was hard, man. Looking back on it, it's like she she really uh, summoned up a lot of courage. And, and, and it, it also just is a testament to, to how much she cared about me so it's really now i think about that and it's a big deal well we've been getting heavy but how about another song jason tell, tell right. us what you'd like to play 
I wish I had a lighthearted tune to offset <laughs> all this weight, but I don't have that. Um, let's see. I will do. Uh, I'll do last of my kind. That one works good in this setting. Couldn't be happy in the city at night You can't see the stars for the neon lights The sidewalk's dirty and the river's worse the underground trains all run in reverse Nobody here can dance like me Everybody's clapping on a one and three Am I the last of my kind? Am I? So many people with so much to do When it's so cold your hands turn blue Old men sleeping on the filthy ground They spend their whole day just walking around And nobody else here seems to care They walk right past them like they ain't even there Am I the last of my kind? Am I the last of Daddy said the river would always lead me home But the river can't take you back in time And daddy's dead and gone And the family farm's a parking lot And Walton's five and dying Am I the last of my kind? Am I? Tried to go to college, but I didn't belong. Everything I said was either funny or wrong. And they laughed at my boots, laughed at my jeans, laughed when they gave me amphetamines and left me alone in a bad part of town. 36 hours to come back down. Am I the last of my kind? Am I the last of says God won't give you too much to bear Well that might be true in Arkansas but I'm a long long way from there and That whole world's an old and faded picture in my mind Am I the last of my kind Am I
Jason Isbell, live on Sound Opinions. All right, I want to ask you a, another heavy question, since it's a heavy album. Let's do and it. And you're a heavy guy. Let's um, do it. Let me ask you about uh, the love song uh, on the album, uh, which is an unlikely love song. I think one of the most unlikely love songs I've ever heard, If We Were Vampires. Because right? the way I'm hearing it, and I'm just a rock critic, I might be wrong. Right? I don't know what you were thinking <laughs> when you were writing. Um, there's so many levels to it. We, we suck the life out of the ones we love, right? Uh, we wish we were immortal like vampires, you know, that this would never end. But you're recognizing in a very existential French philosophy by the <laughs> way of Alabama yeah. way, Jason, um, uh, you know, this nothing lasts forever. Even if we die, you know, one of us will go a second before the other one, uh, which is a heavy way to think about love. Yeah, and you get used to anything, you know. You get used to living, and and uh, if you were living forever, you would get very bored with it pretty quickly. I like to think, and and you know, we 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 all wish that we could live forever, except for the one guy somewhere who's managed to live forever, and he wishes he could die. <laughs> you know, he's done. Um, yeah, Cause we we just don't have, we wouldn't have motivation, and so I started the song out. I'll tell you what I was doing. I was I was in the bedroom, sitting on the bed, watching that show Hoarders. You know that show. <laughs> Watching that show, because it makes yeah. me feel way better about myself. Anyway, I'm watching a show. My wife comes in. It's Friday, and I'm going in the studio on Monday to start this record. And Amanda comes in the room and says, what are you doing? You need to be writing a song. Said, Why are you watching Hoarders? I'm watching Hoarders. hoarders. Yeah. Well, you know I love Hoarders. And she said, anybody can be watching Hoarders right now. You need to be writing a song. You're going in the studio in three days. I'm like, All right. <laughs> so I turned off Hoarders, and I, and I wrote uh, that song, If We Were Vampires. And... Um, what I did, I had like a chord progression, you know, the. I had that I'd been working on for a few days, just those three chords together. And, uh, and I, I, I thought, well, I would like to write a love song, but of course I don't want to write a, a love song that's too reminiscent of every other love song. So, so what do I do? So I started just taking apart. You know, like a chef would do uh, a, a meal that you've eaten a thousand times. I, I started deconstructing a love song. And, and you know, most of the people say, it's this. It's the way you look or it's the way you treat me or it's the things you do. It's this, it's this, it's this. And so I started the song by going, it's not this and it's not that. And it's it's not those things at all. What is it? And by the time I got to the chorus, it hit me. It's the fact that we're going to die. That's why I love you. It's the fact that we're going to die, and that, and I, and I need to love you, and you need to love me because that is part of the human experience that we have to have, you know. And if we weren't gonna die, uh, that wouldn't be really all that necessary because we'd get around to that in a thousand years. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine, you know, someday my prince will come if you lived for ten thousand years. <laughs> you know, imagine how little those songs would mean, and and and. You know, just everything. The whole canon of art would be gone. I mean, it wouldn't, mm. wouldn't make any difference because mm. eventually we could all learn to paint like da Vinci, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you give, gave give us a enough million time, right? years a of painting. Of centuries, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the trick is they, they got that stuff done, you know, in 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. And, and I think that's, that's the trick to all of it. You are listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. We're here with Jason Isbell of Solo Fame right now on a sixth studio record, Nashville Sound. Uh, Jason, you got another song for us? Yeah, um, we were talking about if we were vampires, so I'll play it. Thank you. 
It's not the long flowing dress that you're in Or the light coming off of your skin The fragile heart you've protected for so long Or the mercy in your sense of right and wrong It's not your hands searching slow in the dark or your nails leaving love's watermark It's not the way you talk me off the roof Your questions like directions to the truth It's knowing that this can't go on forever Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone Maybe we'll get 40 years together one day I'll be gone, one day you'll be gone. If we were vampires and death was a joke, we'd go out on the sidewalk and smoke and laugh at all the lovers and their plans. I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand, and maybe time. I work hard till the end of my shift To give you every second I can find And hope it isn't me who's left behind Knowing that this can't go on forever Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone Maybe we'll get 40 years together But one day I'll be gone One day you'll be gone Knowing that this can't go on forever Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone Maybe we'll get 40 years together One day I'll be gone One day you'll be gone Jason Isbell, live on Sound Opinions, If We Were Vampires. What an incredible tune. And this has been, we could do this all day, Jason. Thank you very much for having me. That wraps up our conversation with Jason Isbell. We've got video of our set with Jason at soundopinions.org. As always, we want to hear from you, our listeners. What do you think about Jason's music? Call and leave us a message on our hotline at 888-859-1800. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. When we come back, we review the chart-topping debut from rapper Cardi B. And Jim's got a song he cannot live without. Jim, what do you got for us? 
Greg, I'm going to give you two lines. The ladies will kick it with the rhyme that is wicked. Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. If you wanted to, these expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes. Hit the score, I can get them both. I don't want to choose, and I'm quick. Cut a also don't get comfortable. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis. That's a little bit of the single that was everywhere in 2017, Bodak Yellow from Cardi B. It is one of the tracks from her new album called Invasion of Privacy, her debut album. You know, Cardi B, Jim, is one of the examples, maybe the greatest examples of sort of a new millennial pop star. She did mm-hmm. not do it by making tapes in her bedroom or, or going out and playing shows. I mean, she became yeah. an Instagram star before she was anything else. Uh, people followed her on social media because she was, she was such an interesting, vivid uh, personality. Grew up in the Bronx in New York City. From 2015 to 2017, she was a cast member on that VH1 reality TV show, Love and Hip Hop, New York. Made two mixtapes along the way. Got signed to Atlantic Records. First uh, major label record deal in February of 2017. Bodak Yellow came out soon after, reached number one on the charts. The second ever female rapper to go number one as a solo act since Lauryn Hill in 1998. And now... We have the debut studio album, Invasion of Privacy. Here's a track from it. It's called I Like It from Cardi B on Sound Opinions. Now I like dollars, I like diamonds, I like stunning, I like shining, I like million dollar deals. Where's my pen? What's I'm signing? I like those Balenciagas, the ones that look like socks. I like going to the jeweler, I put rocks all in my watch. I like sexes from my exes when they want a second chance. I like proving wrong. I do what they say I can't. They call me Cardi, Cardi, banging body, spicy mommy, hot tamale, hotter than a Somali, bird, go, Ferrari. Hop up the stool, jump in the coop, big dip on top of the roof, flexing no m**** as hard as I can, eating halal, driving the lamb. So that much, sorry though, got my coins like Mario, yeah they call me Cardi B, I run get like Cardi, I like it from Cardi B's Invasion of Privacy on Sound Opinions. Greg, I have no doubt that there are a fair number of Jason Isbell fans who are wondering now, and public radio listeners in general, why is Sound Opinions tackling Cardi B? Even Jason Isbell says he loves Cardi B and his wife, uh, and he are playing it all the time. Cardi B is an important artist, all right? I think we can have many debates about the art she is giving us, but she is an important part of the pop music spectrum today. My problems with Cardi B, way too much use of the B word, okay? The celebration of commerciality, bragging about wealth and commercialism, making it via reality TV. All of that said, she is using a system that America still sadly has in place that made her a star. She's not responsible for it. She's using it. And if I have problems with some of those aspects of what she's rapping about and how she got to the top of the charts, I cannot help but celebrate her energy, her independence, her strength, the things that are uh, inspiring about her. She has a wicked sense of humor. They say by now that I'll be finished. Hard to tell. I can tell. My little 15 minutes less than long as hell. 
she has a great vocal instrument. Uh, her ability to wrap her voice around these rhymes, her knowledge of hip-hop history. She's part of a lineage that includes Roxanne Shantae, but she's also name-dropping Tupac. She's a smart artist. Do I wish there were things in, in, in her raps that, that, that were more substantive at times? Yeah. Okay. But the inspiration she is giving not only young black women, but I see it in, in my students uh, of all colors and all sexes at Columbia College. Um, you know, this is a strong woman who's not taken guff from anybody, uh, you know, who's been through some drama and like Mary J. Blige is talking about, uh, I overcame it, you can too. <laughs> I, I can't give it a, a, a full hearted uh, buy it, but, but you should be aware of it. You should listen to it. You should consider it. It for yourself, so it's a try it for me. Well, Jim, I got like four words for you about this record: hooks, 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 and hooks. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mention the music, pretty, and that's important. Pretty amazing, um, you know. Just in terms of as a pop statement, this record will stick with you. You know, whether you like hip hop or not, whether you have an opinion about Cardi B or yeah. not, those songs will get inside your head. I'm with you on the product, uh, the name checking of the brand name clothes and the jewelry. It gets a little old at times, the sort of the the rampant materialism. But you know what? It's as you said. There's more going on here. She's coming in that Foxy Brown, Lil Kim uh, lineage. There's some uh, sexuality here, which is you know very explicit in some cases. But there's also uh, you know a woman who isn't afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah. And isn't afraid to be uh, introspective. So you have the, the toughness next to the introspection. One of the things that impressed me about her is she tweeted back in November. She said, I've got songs stashed up. And clearly they've been working on this record for a long time. I just don't think they're qualified for my album. Yeah, uh, she's there, a perfectionist. There's, a, there's an artist at work here. There isn't just a toy no. that's being propped up by these 27 producers that are working on this record. I really think she had... A, a vision at work here that these producers were serving. For me, the key to the album is right in the middle of it. You've got this anthemic song with Chance the Rapper, who you, you know, if you want feel-good anthems, you hire Chance the Rapper, yeah. right? But she's still, you know, she's she's on that track and she's a presence on that track. She is not being usurped by Chance the Rapper at all. I'm giggling, can let the devil have the last laugh. Ain't no more beefing, I'm just keeping to myself. I'm my own competition, I'm competing with myself. I told y'all I'm living my best life. You follow that with I Like It, you know, which we just played. That is a song that is going to be a huge single. This is yeah. the Greg Cott prediction for the Cardi B record. <laughs> uh, that is going to be gigantic. And then Ring shows that vulnerability with the, mm-hmm. the track with Kehlani on it. Should I call first? I can't decide. I want to, but I got pride. Switching up is what I can't with. I'm feeling you, but you hard to get in touch with. There's all sides to this woman on, on her debut record. You know, who knows in 10 years what this record is going to mean? But I think she captured a vibe, you know, combined with the sort of the, the, the Me Too movement, the fact that she is a female rapper who is the biggest rapper in the world right now at this moment. And not leaving uh, the street behind. Correct. Uh, there's something that this is a statement. This is not just a musical statement. It's a political statement. It's a cultural statement, a social statement. I think everybody should hear this record. They may not like it, but I, I'm going to recommend buying it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched.
As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the Desert Island and play a track we cannot live without on the Desert Island Jukebox. Jim, it is your turn this week. Greg, uh, talking about Cardi B, listening to Cardi B uh, was making me think about giving the ladies some in hip-hop. Um, you know, I've played Salt and Pepper on the show. Uh, you and I are both huge fans of Missy Elliott. You love Lauren Hill. We adore M.I.A. We have never played Dana Owens of Newark, New Jersey, mm. my homegirl from Jersey, Queen Latifah. I think female empowerment in hip-hop starts with Ladies First, that phenomenal single from her debut album, 1989. That's forever wow. ago. Tommy Boy Records, uh, All Hail the Queen. You know, there was no her taking a backseat to anybody in hip-hop, in pop culture from the get-go. All Hail the Queen, what a statement. <laughs> I'm here, right? And Ladies First, I think, was such a wonderful single. The 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 jazzy instrumentation uh, and the loops driving this statement of female empowerment uh, and, and her sharing the mic, you know, even at that early stage of her career, you know, she is uh, bringing on this UK MC who was really, uh, you know, nobody at that time, mm. you know, uh, and she would have her own big debut uh, hit in 1990, the following year. Uh, I just love the way these women say, we can do this. We are not going to listen to anyone who says we can't. And the example that they're setting in hip hop uh, with a kind of female empowerment that is sexy, I think, though not in the way that Cardi B is. All mm -hmm. right. I think it's easy to forget about Latifah today because she's an actress. She's a television personality. But man, when she was on album, when she was on her game in hip hop, nobody was better. This is Queen Latifah with Ladies First, my Desert Island jukebox pick on Sound Opinions. The ladies will kick it, the rhyme it is wicked. Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted. A woman could bear you, break you, take you. Now it's time to rhyme. Can you relate to a sister dope enough to make you holler and scream? Hey, yo, let me take it from here, queen. Excuse me, but I think I'm about to To get into precisely what I am about to do. I'm conversating to the folks who have no whatsoever clue. So listen very carefully as I break it down for you. Merrily, 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 merrily. Hi, hi, happy, overjoyed. Please, will all the beats and rhymes my sisters have employed. Slick as you throwing down the sound totally a yes. Let me state the position. Ladies first, yes? Yes. Yeah, there's gonna be some changes right there. Being a woman is great to see. I know that all the fellas out there will agree with me. Not for being one, but for being with one. Cause when it's time for loving, it's the woman that gets them strong. Stepping, strutting, moving on, rhyming, cutting, and not forgetting. We are the ones to give birth to the new generation of prophets. Cause it's late. I break into a lyrical freestyle. Grab the mic, look at the crowd, and see smiles. Cause they see a woman standing up on her own too. Sloppy slouching is something I won't do. Something we can't flow. can't flow. Stereotypes, they got to go. go. I'ma mess around and flip the scene into reverse. With what? With a little touch of lace. We are the ones that give birth to the new generation of prophets. Queen Latifah, ladies first. My Desert Island jukebox pick. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Great pick, Jim. And uh, next week, we are getting ready for the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown by playing some songs about horses. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say. Adam Yaffe and Andrew Gill helped with our Jason Isbell session. And Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, and Iona Contreras. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, guys. 
My name is Topher. I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin. Just finished listening to the Captain Beefheart show. If I was going to recommend someone to begin deciphering the Beefheart catalog, I would have to suggest the album Clear Spot. Her eyes, yeah, her eyes, her eyes, all they bloom a million miles. Beefheart worked with the Doobie Brother producers, Ted Templeman and Don Landy. They kind of smooth out some of the rough edges. There are some really classic songs on there, like Her Eyes Are a Blue Million Miles, and My Head Is Only My House Unless It Rains, and Too Much Time. This is where I was able to get into Beefheart, and that allowed me to then begin to go back and comprehend, you know, things like Trout Mass Replica or some of the later New Wave stuff like Bat Chain Puller. Thanks again for the show. Really enjoyed it. Hi, guys. This is Glenn, Oak Park, Illinois. I'm just commenting on your show reviewing the career of Captain Beefheart. So I spent some time with him after a concert in Liverpool in 1974, and he's one of the greatest guys to talk to. He was under rough conditions. He'd had to get a new band after his banquet before the European tour. The show was tight. He was great. Uh, he was very patient with the people in the room talking to him and just saying he was basically wanting to earn enough money from his music so he could retire and just do nothing but painting. And this was 20 years almost before he did retire. Thanks a lot and keep up the good work. Hello, this is Sue calling from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Where have you been all my life? This is the first time I've listened to your show, and I love it, love it, love it. Captain Beefheart, amazing. Um, I was a little skeptical at first, but wow, awesome. Love it. Keep it up. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Sound Opinions. Love your show. This is Gabe from Las Vegas. I just heard the Captain Beefheart episode, and sad to say you have not made a believer of me. I feel like Beefheart is the Emperor's new clothes. People keep saying that they like it, but I can't imagine anyone ever enjoying it. I like what your producer said, that as a piece of art, maybe you can appreciate it that way, but no one's throwing this on and tapping their toes and having a good time. It's, it's just horrible. John from Winterstown, Pennsylvania, listening to your Captain Beefheart feature. It was fabulous. Three friends of mine and I saw Captain Beefheart, maybe late 60s, early 70s, at the Paramount Theater in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Ry Cooter was the opener, and that was a fairly conventional set. And then Beefheart and his magic band came on the stage. It was amazing. Amazing because the music was amazing, and amazing because by the time he walked off the stage at the end of the set, there was hardly a soul left in the Paramount Theater. Only a few of us standing up, clapping, yelling, encore. And uh, sometime later, Rolling Stone magazine, I picked up a copy, I read an article about uh, Captain Beefheart 
tour. And they use the Paramount Theater experience in Wilkes-Barre as an example of audience rejection of Captain Beefheart's music. Thanks for a great, great, interesting discussion about Beefheart. He is, what I say, the Molotov cocktail of music. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.